Hey everyone, I just want to remind you to make sure you check out the awesome people over at Anchor.fm. Of course, it is a great place for you to host your own podcast. And guess what? One of the cool parts is that it's totally free. Yeah, that's right, free. There's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your computer or even your phone. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many others. Trust me, it's so easy. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. If you guys want to get in on it, make sure you download the free Anchor app or just simply go to anchor.fm to get started. What is going on, everybody? It is yours truly, Connor, a.k.a. OK Fabe here. Welcome back to episode number 107 of the Random Wrestling Podcast, your latest for all the greatest pro wrestling news and needs. You guys know me. I'm Connor, a.k.a. OK Fabe, of course, right here on Fight TV or wherever you guys are listening to us from on all the major podcasting platforms. Thank you so much for tuning in in our new setup. I hope you guys like this new layout, this new uh, set that we have. We don't spare any expense, especially when we're here on Fight TV. Um, well, at least we try not to spare any expense. Um, yeah, we'll make sure this this is... We're good. We're, we're good here. The point is that, that we're good. Everything is working great. And we're finally in the way that hopefully there's no more technical issues going forward. So, again, thank you guys for tuning in so much. We have a ton of stuff to talk about this week. And I do mean a ton of stuff. We're going to talk about SmackDown. We're going to talk about Wrestle Kingdom weekend and the crazy amount of stuff that went down during there. We're also going to talk about Raw. We have found out that Brock Lesnar is actually going to be entering into the Royal Rumble. And you might be surprised why I'm actually going to defend that idea. Plus, AEW beats out NXT in ratings and for good measure. We'll talk about all the latest from both NXT, AEW, and we'll even talk a little bit about NWA Power right here on the Random Wrestling Podcast. And now, OK Faye presents the Random Wrestling Podcast. I have been waiting a long time to say these words, and I'm going to say them right here, right now, tonight. Your number one source for all pro wrestling talk with a comedy twist. Where in the hell did Randy Orton come from? He snapped a metal crutch in half. Hey, in the middle. Miz, how you doing, man? Yeah, good to see you. All right, yeah, you wear your little thing, you're looking like a blind nun. All right, hey, do me a favor, park the rock truck. We are here on episode 107 of the Random Wrestling Podcast, and we got a lot of stuff to talk about. And thank you guys for tuning in right here on Fight TV. Of course, either Facebook, YouTube, wherever you guys are watching us from, I really do appreciate it because we have a lot of cool stuff to talk about when it comes to the week of pro wrestling. Hope you guys had a great first week of 2020. It was certainly one that, well... A lot went down, a lot of stuff went down, and I'm really excited to talk about it. So we might as well kick things right off the bat by talking about SmackDown. Now, with SmackDown this week, we're not going to be able to cover about what happened on, well, a couple of days ago on SmackDown, but rather we're going to talk about what happened on January the 3rd. We're coming at you from the FedEx Forum in Memphis, Tennessee. We had four returns. Yeah, that's right. Technically, we had four returns to SmackDown. Yeah, okay, they advertised three, but realistically, we actually had four. The return of Bray Wyatt, the fiend himself, with his blue universal title in tow. Sheamus coming back, as well as the Usos. Now, a couple of other things to talk about here. First, let's talk about Sheamus himself. Now, Sheamus coming back is something that I am very, very happy about. 
I'm not saying I'm here that I'm the biggest Sheamus fan in the world, but the reason I'm happy about Sheamus coming back is because there was so much uncertainty when it came to him returning to the ring. We hadn't seen him in almost a full year, if not longer, and there were even concerns and even rumors spreading about the fact that maybe Sheamus wasn't even going to be making it back and he'd have to actually retire. Rumors about spinal stenosis and his health were certainly not helping the case of the Celtic Warrior. However, a few weeks ago, we started seeing promos for the return of the Irish man himself in his pale white skin of justice, and he finally made his return, interrupting a beatdown segment against the Revival and Shorty G, which I still can't believe they're actually using that name for him, and they actually went so far as to put a giant G on his uniform. <sighs> another rant for another day. But Seamus returned, saving Shorty G, only to, to, to bro kick him in the face. Well, not really quite the save we were hoping for. Well, maybe not the one Sorry G was hoping for, but either way, I'm very glad to see Seamus back. If for no other reason, the fact that it's actually a really good idea to introduce him at this point in crucial time for at least SmackDown anyway. Seamus has been gone from TV for at least a year, if not longer. Unfortunately, I don't have the record here uh, to, to pinpoint when he's been, how long he's been gone. Of course, you lovely people can correct me down in the comments and on social media, I'm sure. But on top of that, you interject him as a heel, which I, I'm just gonna say right here, right now, as much as I love me the bar, as, loves, as much as I love his teaming with Cesaro and some of his eh, comedic runs as a babyface, I think Sheamus is a far more effective heel, and I'm really glad to see it. Now, of course, this is going to throw in semantics about like where he's going to go, what direction, and quite frankly, I'm not really interested in that. I'm just glad to see him back. He looks like he's in the best shape I've ever seen him, too. If you go, I was actually trying to do some research before talking about him on the show tonight, and I was looking back at some of her, his older photos and I was just like blown away at how much he's changed and how much physical like peakness he's in. I know peakness isn't a word, but I think you guys get my point. But in any case, it's really impressive to see just how much he was able to improve uh, his physique since he was gone. If you guys aren't familiar, you've probably seen some of his workout videos and stuff, and it was just uh, amazing. So the guy's been in great shape, really happy to see Sheamus back. Of course, we also saw the fiend Bray Wyatt himself return attacking Daniel Bryan for reasons I'm still not quite 100% uh, on, I'm, I'm just not I'm sure about yet. But either way, we're going to see The Fiend taking on Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble later on this month for the Universal Championship. And honestly, and we'll probably talk about this more when we get a little closer to the Rumble, this could arguably be the best rivalry that The Fiend has had since his, well, resurgence, I guess, since back in the summer against Finn Balor. But... There's still a lot to be desired, but at the same time, this could be one of the best things and one of the best rivalries that the Fiends actually had. I mean, yeah, it's not the greatest, but there's a lot of potential there, and I'm actually really looking forward to the Rumble match. I just hope it's not consistent beatdowns constantly like we've seen with other places, which, speaking of beatdowns, we'll talk about that a little later on. Just hold that thought for a minute. But, again, Sheamus was not the only return. Wyatt wasn't the only return. John Morrison. Okay, this is the good one. This is the big one. This is the one I want to make sure I talked a lot about. John Morrison, he's been gone for the company for, I believe, close to a decade. And he's back now, and he's on SmackDown, which a lot of people were excited about. So what does John Morrison do on his return to SmackDown? He ends up in the Miz's locker room in a backstage segment. Okay, 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 okay. I know a lot of people weren't really big on this, and I, and I can sort of 
sort of understand that. John Morrison is definitely known as being one of the most athletic guys that they've seen in recent memory as far as wrestling ability. I mean, he did Starship Pain. He's got those killer abs. He, he definitely has a physique of, of like the, the, the Norse gods. He definitely has amazing ability. And I guess a lot of people were just let down that his big return, even being announced that he was re-signing with the company on Backstage by Ryan Satin a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's been like weeks since they've announced his return. So we, uh, we knew he was coming back. And then just, oh, by the way, I'm in the Miz's locker room. Now, on one hand, for someone who's so athletic and so amazing, on one hand, it's for someone who's so athletic and so amazing, it's a bit of a disappointment. On the other hand, the fact that he's teasing teaming with The Miz could be another great possibility. And don't get me wrong, as soon as Morrison's name being brought back up and being returning to WWE, and even the possibility of him coming back to SmackDown, there were already like, I already saw t so many retweets of the dirt sheet segments from like 2008 and 2009, which really, I can't believe I forgot about these. And they were some of the greatest stuff back when they were doing this on ECW, can't believe I'm actually dating myself saying that, but either way, on ECW. And if you haven't seen these, you're doing yourself a disservice by not checking them out. So on one hand, a bit disappointing to see a super athletic person who has amazing in-ring ability make his re triumphant return to the company that made him kind of really not do anything and almost being like a, a fart in the wind. But on the other hand, teaming with Miz could mean a resurgence of Miz and Morrison, a great tag team, and really gives direction for Miz, which is actually another thing I want to talk about when it comes to SmackDown, Miz going back to being heel. Now, Miz has been babyface pretty much since about the end of 2018. If you guys remember, Miz turned babyface in an attempt to, well, be friends with Shane McMahon and win the tag team titles. Yeah, can't remember I actually forgot about that that happened at the beginning of 2019, that yes, Miz actually teamed with Shane McMahon and had that rivalry, but then after WrestleMania when Shane beat Miz, the best in the world, I'm sorry, I don't have the same announcer voice, but you, you guys get the idea. Miz really didn't do a whole lot. Yeah, true, he did have the TL he had the match at TLC against The Fiend for the Universal Championship, but Miz really wasn't doing anything. And much like Sheamus, I'm glad Miz is a heel now. I'm very happy he's a heel now. Let's face it, have you ever honestly thought about, and if you try to take a moment to think about this, think about moments when Miz had his illustrious career. He's been in the WWE for so long. When you think of like the top moments of Miz's career, usually people think things of when he cashed in Money in the Bank against Randy Orton and won the WWE Championship. The epic promo that he cut on Daniel Bryan on Talking Smack when he was the Intercontinental Champion. You don't really think of a lot of babyface moments with The Miz. In fact, I can't even think of any babyface moments with The Miz. Can you? I'm sure you can in hindsight, and I'm sure you'll let me know in the comments and on social media, at OKFabe on Twitter. But the idea that him being heel, and then maybe even Morrison being heel with him, could recreate some of that magic that we lost when we had to split them up and no longer part of the dirt sheet. I think this could have potential to be extremely entertaining. Even if Miz isn't involved in the Intercontinental or the Universal Championship title picture, which, eh, it's another missed opportunity, but that's for another time. The fact that we could have a, a tag team, and especially with other tag teams like <laughs> Heavy Machinery and The New Day on there, who are two extremely entertaining teams, more so Otis than Dozovich, but that's another, uh, more, uh, than Tucker, but that's another story for another time. That could create some really fun potential. 
you let them just go crazy and have fun, I'm telling you, you're going to be in for a treat for sure. But that was SmackDown. Let's switch gears to what happened over the weekend last week, and let's talk about the epicness that was New Japan Pro Wrestling. Of course, every year, if you guys have not, for the past 13 years, well now 14, heard about the amazing thing that is known as Wrestle Kingdom. Wrestle Kingdom, for those of you who don't know, is essentially the WrestleMania for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now, this features some of the best and biggest matches that New Japan has to offer every single year on January the 4th at the Tokyo Dome in, well, Tokyo, Japan. And this year was no different except for the fact that there were two nights. The show had become so big that they actually split them up into Nights 1 and Nights 2, uh, which is something that a lot of people on social media were instantly paranoid about the fact that this might be exactly what happens to WrestleMania. And let me just say for the record, I think that there are pros and cons for a WrestleMania being a two-night event. On one hand, it definitely helps kind of break up the action. A lot of people over the last couple of years, especially more recently, have been complaining about how WrestleMania is too long. I mean, hell, it's almost a 24-hour event now going over seven hours, if not more. I can't even, I think, what was it last year, like nine hours long? It's crazy. So splitting it up on one hand actually wouldn't be a bad idea. But on the other hand, WrestleMania week is already so jam-packed, especially with the move of SmackDown to Fridays. So how would you do that? You essentially would have to either bump something or switch things around. Now you've got SmackDown, NXT TakeOver, the Hall of Fame, WrestleMania nights 1 and 2, and then Monday Night Raw. There's nowhere you're going to fit it. It's just going to be too crazy. But anyway, we're not here to talk about WrestleMania yet. We'll get to that in a couple of months. But instead, let's talk about New Japan. Now, bear with me on some of the pronunciations of these names and not really truly understanding everything because I'm not, I'm not as well versed with New Japan as I am, obviously, American promotions. So I'm sure a lot of you are going to make fun of me for butchering these names on social media. Gotta love Twitter sometimes. Or Facebook. Or MySpace. Uh, but New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom Tokyo Dome Weekend. Night one. Night one was just crazy. We had some great epic matches. We have some opening eight-man tag team matches, including a great matchup with Jushin Thunder Liger teaming up with a bunch of his former rivals and partners. And we'll talk about Jushin Thunder Liger in just a little bit. And I have a lot of respect for the man. It was great to see uh, his last hurrah. And really, the big thing for me was to see the outpouring of support uh, from the local uh, and from the crowd at the Tokyo Dome for the legendary career of Jushin Thunder Liger. And if you have not seen any of Liger's matches, you are doing yourself a disservice to not watch anything with Jushin Thunder Liger, especially some of his stuff in WCW in the early 90s. Him and Brian Pillman for the then light heavyweight title of WCW, still one of the best matches I've ever seen featuring both of those men. But a couple of highlights from night one from New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom. We, of course, saw new IWGP Tag Team Champions in Finn Juice. Yes, you heard me, Finn Juice. No, it's not Juicy Juice's cousin, it's Finn Juice. The team of David Finley, which is the son of Fit Finley, and, of course, Juice Robinson, who is, of course, the former CJ at, uh, <laughs> at NXT. Man, I, I can't get over that perm. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go watch it on Fight TV. The perm is just exquisite. But on top of that, we actually saw in a surprising twist, John Moxley defeating Lance Archer for the IWGP United States Championship in a Texas death match. First off, they did not hold back in this Texas death match. I saw some kendo shots to the head that just made me just drop my jaw. And it, it's not so much the fact that it just happened. It's the fact that it happened in 2020 in a time when you don't really see 
that type of violence, well, maybe in AEW, on a broader scale. So just kind of, it kind of messed with me a little bit as far as getting used to that show. But either way, the other part that surprised me was Moxley winning the championship. Now, it didn't surprise me because I didn't think Moxley was a good enough opponent to beat Archer for the championship, but obviously more so the fact that Moxley is signed with AEW, which we'll talk about that in just a little bit as far as their relationship. It's a very interesting treat. But a great matchup, and the big one that I definitely need to tell you about is, of course, no doubt, Okada versus Ibushi. Now, this, of course, was these two big pillars of New Japan Pro Wrestling for years. Ibushi never having a chance, and, of course, Okada defending that IWGP Heavyweight Championship. I cannot sit here and tell you how epic a match that was. You need to go see it for yourself. But ultimately, Okada definitely retaining the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, being able to go on tonight, too, which also proved some interesting tidbits as well. Because... For the first time that I can recall, Wrestle Kingdom had not only a night two, but the main event was a double gold championship match. It was, yes, for both the Intercontinental title, held by Taitsuda Naito, and of course, Okada, who had just defended against uh, Ibushi the night before. But again, epic moment in that sense, but we'll talk about that in a second. Switching over to night two real quick, Zack Sabre Jr., an amazing technician, if you have not seen his work, defending the Revolution Pro Wrestling British Heavyweight title. Say that three times now. That's a mouthful right there. Against Sonata in some amazing chain wrestling that, you, that it just really highlights his ability, and I cannot wait to see what happens with him in the future. Moxley retaining that U.S. championship. Again, just surprised that he's holding on to a New Japan title considering his relationship with AEW. We also saw Jay White defeating Ibushi and, uh, of course, Chris Jericho defending, the, or sorry, defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi with an interesting stipulation that raised a lot of eyebrows where he basically said if, he, if uh, Tanahashi defeated Chris Jericho that, yes, indeed, he would actually receive an AEW World title match. Now, for those of you wondering, this was approved by both New Japan as well as Tony Khan. There was a working relationship there. But of course, as I mentioned before, Naito actually coming out on top, beating Okada in night two to become the first ever dual champion, or at least in recent memory, dual champion of both the IWGP Intercontinental and the Heavyweight Championship. Now, overall, both nights were just absolutely insane. Some great matches and great wrestling for both. The thing is, New Japan is definitely a different feel compared to American promotions. If you haven't seen anything from New Japan, I think Wrestle Kingdom is definitely a prime example of a great opening way to kind of get you introduced to things. I will give a lot of credit to the American commentary team who did this, uh, Kevin Kelly being one of them, in terms of helping explaining things as they went along and kind of catching people up to speed on some of the major rivalries, some of the uh, buildup going into the show, which certainly helped me enjoy it a whole lot more. The in-ring work was just absolutely a completely different level. On top of that, the crowd itself, very into it. Uh, definitely in silence in some cases, but when they were loud, they were certainly loud. It was a great thing to be able to witness. Definitely a change of pace from the American promotions, especially considering I just talked about SmackDown, but telling you at least go somewhat watch some of the bigger matches from New Japan for sure. And of course, there was also New Year's Dash, which happened the Monday after. Now, for those of you who don't know, the way it works is that the first major show following Wrestle Kingdom is a, a show referred to as New Year's Dash. This is taking place at the OTA City General Gymnasium in Tokyo literally after night two. 
the major highlights to take away from there was, of course, a tension tease between John Moxley and, of course, Suzuki, which a lot of people were very intrigued about given Suzuki's history of being, well, let's just say a tough individual. And, of course, we saw a very solemn uh, uh, ceremony for the retirement of Jushin Thunder Liger. It blew me away just because it was so quiet, and you don't really see that. And it, it was just amazing amount of respect for a man who's given so much to the wrestling business. And it's, it's bittersweet because when you see someone retire in pro wrestling, at least for me, you of course can feel differently, it's a little different because we kind of grow up with these wrestlers. We kind of grow up with these people and these characters and these personas. Some more than others, obviously, but, but Liger is obviously a, a, a bigger-than-life character, not just in Japan, but he's pretty much worked in every major promotion that you can think of. Ring of Honor, TNA, NXT even, he had a run there. Of course, WCW, and of course, New Japan Pro Wrestling. And to see a legend of his status being, you know, walking away is a little disheartening because we no longer get to see him in, in ring action. But on the, on the plus side of things, it was a solemn, respectful ceremony, one that I think definitely merited the performer uh, that gave so much as Jushin Thunder Liger did. On top of that, though, the big thing that we got to see was Kenta. Yeah, that's right, Kenta, the former, the former WWE superstar, Hideo Itami, now referred to back at, once again as Kenta, actually teasing to be in line to challenge Naito for the both the IWGP Intercontinental and the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Now, it was interesting because Kenta didn't really come up really that well and didn't have any major victories over Wrestle Kingdom weekend, but the fact that he's next in line to challenge Naito has raised some eyebrows and thinking, hmm, this could be very, very interesting. Overall, I definitely recommend you guys check out New Year's Dash and Wrestle Kingdom. And if you do, make sure you order it on the Fight TV because they're doing a great package deal where you can get all three nights for one price. Everything all in one. And speaking of which, check out some of the other amazing stuff also coming available on Fight TV. Hey everyone, make sure you check out all the amazing wrestling action over on Fight TV. If you guys missed out on New Japan Wrestle Kingdom 14, either night one, night two, or even New Year's Dash, don't worry, Fight TV's got you covered. You guys can order the entire bundle pack of both nights of Wrestle Kingdom 14, along with New Year's Dash, including some amazing matches like John Moxley and Lance Archer in a Texas death match. Kata versus Ibushi for the IWGP heavyweight title. Plus, you got Chris Jericho and Hiroshi Tanahashi and the solemn last matches of Jushin Thunder Liger, the awesome retirement matches for his last run. So make sure you guys order that. But also, don't forget to check out Impact Wrestling and RCW's Bash at the Brewery 2, one of two awesome Impact events coming to Fight TV and as well as Impact Plus. And speaking of Impact, they also have another pay-per-view right around the corner, Hard to Kill. You can order the replay right now. It's got some great lineup, including Ace Austin defending the Impact X Division Championship, Taya Valkyrie in a three-way for the Knockouts title against Jordan Grace and ODB, plus the intergender match for the Impact World title as Tessa Blanchard challenges Sammy Callahan for the title. Plus, last but certainly not least, the National Wrestling Alliance makes its return to pay-per-view on Fight TV with Hard Times. It's the return of the end NWA TV title, the finals of the tournament to crown the new champion, plus all the amazing action that the National Wrestling Alliance has to offer. So make sure you check out this and all the amazing stuff available on Fight TV. Alright, switching gears back over now to... <sighs> 
Monday Night Raw. But actually, before we get to Monday Night Raw, I do want to talk about a little interesting tidbit about New Japan and their wrestling relationship with American promotions. Now, right now, as of the recording of this episode, New Japan is in a very interesting situation. A lot of people online really would like to see a working relationship between AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now, obviously, there is a lot of history because a lot of the major top stars in AEW have done a lot of major work with AE, uh, with New Japan. Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho, the Young Bucks, a lot of them having major, and, and even now, John Moxley, a current roster member of AEW, is now, of course, part of New Japan as the U.S. champion. So it's interesting to see that now there's questions about what's going down. Uh, with New Japan, one of the major things that happened to them at the very beginning of this year, actually, was the falling out with Axis TV. Impact Wrestling, whose parent company, Anthem, bought and now has a majority ownership in Axis TV, tried to work out another relationship with New Japan, where we'd see Impact Wrestling and New Japan most likely doing a talent exchange of some kind, which would be great. Anytime you have sort of cross-promotion and have best of one wrestler from this company versus best of wrestler for the other one, there's usually some great matches and great camaraderie. We've kind of seen this before with TNA and, Impa and uh, New Japan in the past, but we were kind of curious considering that Impact was coming to Axis TV and New Japan was already there. In a very stunning move, to be honest with you, New Japan not only refused ties with Impact Wrestling or to refuse to work with them, but also is now losing out on Axis TV, which means that they are no longer part of it, even though New Japan's deal with Axis, to my knowledge, was supposed to end around 2021. So another year from now. However, I have to say, <laughs> it is going to make things very interesting as far as what's going to happen now with New Japan. I don't think New Japan is going to ultimately suffer from Axis TV's loss. I mean, granted, it's an American outlet to give them more exposure, but it's not necessarily like New Japan was doing huge numbers. That being said, though, this creates an opportunity for New Japan to work with other promotions. Now, they're currently in a relationship with Ring of Honor, at least to my knowledge, but we haven't really seen a whole lot of crossover lately with Ring of Honor. New Japan and Ring of Honor have had an amazing relationship for, for quite a while, but we haven't recently seen that in action. Usually we see New Japan have some talent come over, there's sometimes even special events, and likewise, ROH does the same thing. In fact, we've seen ROH champions wrestle at Wrestle Kingdom in the past. But now it seems that the door is wide open for maybe that merger or that relationship to work out with AEW. But New Japan might be a little hesitant considering that, well, AEW took a good chunk of their talent. I mean, heck, let's be realistic here. The Young Bucks, Cody, uh, Kenny Omega, they kind of were the Bullet Club for a while. Dr granted, the Bullet Club is still in existence in New Japan right now, but it is interesting the fact that, well, a lot of their top talent kind of went the other way. It's going to make things interesting. I think that it's a matter of time before AEW and New Japan ultimately mends fences because having the ability to have New Japan talent on not only back on American TV, but in a prime position on American TV would be great. Being able to see New Japan talent highlighted on a national level once again, especially with the numbers that AEW has been drawing. Granted, it's not a million, but it's still pretty good numbers for a company that just started literally four months ago. Now, on one hand, I just also hope it's not a matter of just rushing the matches in and rushing the talent. I hope it's a slow, gradual process. Maybe Ibushi comes in. We're reading at the Golden Lovers again with Omega and Ibushi. Maybe we see Finjuice sneak their way in. I would say I personally would rather see a slow, gradual uh 
inclusion of the new Japan talent rather than everyone all at once. If you did everyone all at once, it would kind of water it down in my opinion. AEW is still trying to somewhat find their identity and see what works and what doesn't work, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on when we get to Dynamite. But generally speaking, I think it would be a, 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 it's a matter of time rather than whether it's going to happen. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed. But let's go back to the American promotions and let's talk about <sighs> Monday Night Raw. So how can we possibly top that Lana Lashley wedding? Seriously, I can't believe I didn't register my gift with them. I mean, I didn't really see their gift. Can you? I don't even. I don't even know if I want to know what their what their registry for their wedding was. I don't know. It felt kind of rushed. Anyway, a lot of highlights from Monday Night Raw this week as we build towards the Royal Rumble. Now, the <laughs> one thing I have to talk about is Eric Rowan. Now, Rowan hasn't really done a whole lot since coming over from SmackDown to Raw. In fact, during the whole Superstar Shakeup in the fall. I was kind of bummed that Eric Rowan ultimately ended up on the Raw side of things, considering they just came off of a very, in my opinion, decent program with Brian and Rowan Reigns against Rowan and Luke Harper. I actually enjoyed their tag team match they had a couple of months ago. But when Rowan switched over to Raw, it was a bit head-scratching because, well, Rowan hasn't had the greatest singles run in the past anyway, but let's see how it goes. So he started bringing with him this metal cage that he would not let anybody look at and let not anybody near and would get and literally break a guy if that was the case, if he even got a chance to even touch it, let alone peek at what's underneath. But this week was different because now he just doesn't seem to care. Now he's fine with showing what's underneath the, the coat. Now he's fine with showing what's underneath the cage. And it was interesting because on one hand, the talent that he beat was covered in, I, I, I don't think it was blood. I think it was more of a, of a red mist which makes things a lot of questions, and literally scared the bejesus out of Mojo Rawley. Um, I, 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 I have no idea what could be in there. Could it be a copy of WWE 2K20? That seems to be the most likely of uh, obvious choices, but at least it's something for now. I just hope that we see the ultimate end result to this, but still something to just keep your eye on. Don't get too close, though. You might get red mist and a copy of 2K20 in your stocking. Anyway, the other thing I want to also bring up is, of course, the big thing that everyone was talking about from Monday Night Raw, and that is Brock Lesnar. Now, Brock Lesnar came out with Paul Heyman, WWE Championship belt over his shoulder, and he said, well, he didn't say, Le uh, Heyman was the one doing the talking, of course. Heyman announced that Brock Lesnar would be entering the Royal Rumble match, and he would be entering the Royal Rumble at number one. This, of course, set everybody off. This is outrageous. This is BS. How could they let this happen? I think, honestly, this is the smartest move they could do with Lesnar right now. Okay, wait, before you start disliking this thing and, and giving me a low rating on fight and not subscribing and dislike, I think I hit all the, okay. Before you do anything negative and don't do anything rash and hasty now, hear me out. Who would you have had Lesnar fight at the Rumble this year? Really, honestly, who would you have him fight? I, I, I don't know who you could. If you looked at the Raw roster right now, looked across the Raw roster, who do you think would be able to challenge Lesnar for the championship? Now, granted, a lot of times in the past, the WWE Championship would be defended at the Royal Rumble, but very rarely would it change hands and you kind of knew it was kind of a cop-out because the challenger was usually someone who was either the upper mid-card 
or you just knew wasn't going to be the one to beat the champion for the belt. You kind of like got that feeling, right? But who? 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 Who would they have Lesnar fight? I'm serious. Who do you think they could put in line to challenge him for the WWE Championship? Kevin Owens, Samoa Joe, maybe Rey Mysterio again? And I'll get to Big Show. Don't worry, I'm going to get to Big Show. Those are the only ones I can think of. Maybe Rusev, which I'm going to get to Rusev later too. But those were the only names. None of them, none of them were built up properly. Now, granted, you could do, of course, something like a battle royal and have a quick, instant number one contender like that. And yeah, there's enough time to build up to it. But honestly, I prefer this a lot more as mystery and intrigue. Lesnar's entering the Royal Rumble number one, and let's face it, he's probably not going to win. I say that now, full well knowing that this is probably going to be clipped the second Lesnar wins. But he's entering it at number one. This creates an opportunity to build up for his WrestleMania opponent in a different way. He could ultimately either eliminate his WrestleMania opponent, which will get revenge and then toss over, or his WrestleMania opponent will eliminate him and then we go into a giant brawl. It's actually smart booking, and it's also a way for Lesnar to lose at a major pay-per-view without losing the title, but yet build up towards something for WrestleMania. I'm just saying, and it also leaves the door wide open if you want to do it for, say, a SmackDown superstar or NXT. It's not going to be anybody from NXT. I wish. But it leaves the door open. Rather than boxing yourself in and confining yourself to saying, okay, we're going to put Lesnar in another match against the big show and just let him have it, this creates unique opportunity for Lesnar and for whoever his future WrestleMania opponent is. I honestly think this is probably one of the smartest things they've done because, again, who are you really going to put in the ring with Lesnar? at the Royal Rumble. Yes, you could do Samoa Joe, you could do Kevin Owens, but neither one of them have been built up long enough. The only other real big baby faces on Raw right now are Rey Mysterio and then Rusev. Rusev's got enough problems on his plate, believe you me, behind a green screen. Not that I'm one to talk, but that's really it. I think that given the situation, the circumstance, as, as a lot of people may see this as a lazy idea, I think it's actually one of the smartest things they could have done given the circumstances. Let Lesnar be in the Rumble, let him run rough shot, let him have some fun, and then sneak in that surprise to see what exactly is going to go down. And you can't tell me that it doesn't make it a little more interesting and exciting, but we'll theorize some more as maybe it's Drew McIntyre. Ah, I would love it to be Drew McIntyre. I would love it to be the Scottish psychopath to take down the animal, or the beast, whatever he's called now. No, that's Animals Batista. The point is, McIntyre cut a very interesting promo following his match against Mr. No Way Jose on Monday Night Raw. Granted, he claimed Jose again, but they showed signs of maybe a potential babyface run with McIntyre. I'm not saying I'm against it either way. It was just an interesting little tidbit to just kind of take notice. I still think McIntyre is going to win the big one this year, and I'm not going to lose out hope. Haggis! And all that good stuff. But... Let's talk about some other cool things. Awesome matchup for the U.S. title between Andrade, Cien Almas, and Rey Mysterio with a weird ending involving Zelina Vega and people questioning exactly what went down. Uh, I did like the idea of Andrade taking the mask from Rey Mysterio. It seemed a bit random, though. I, I felt like, especially with the, all the, the history of Luchador uh, between the two of them, Andrade actually wearing a mask in the past, they would kind of put more build into it, but listen, I'm not going to take away from the, the fact that it was a very fun, awesome match. 
I hope they don't beat this to death with constantly seeing the same match over and over again, but still something to watch from Monday Night Raw as far as great in-ring work for sure. The, the other thing, of course, to mention is, well, um, what happened not too long after that involving the Lana Lashley-Rusev segment. If you have not seen the Justice of the Peace being tackled by WWE security on camera before the segment went to that, you're doing yourself a disservice. Now, I don't know what happened here. So the, the story goes is that the WWE security or the security of the arena, whichever one you want to talk whichever one it was, didn't know he was part of the show and thought it was a fan and they tackled him and took him down in the middle of the ring, mind you. That was the best part. I'm sorry, I hope he's okay. But on the other side of that, they filmed it. It, it wasn't like they cut away. AJ was walking out after having a very brief match with Akira Tozawa and a not too bad RKO afterwards. But they filmed it and then like nothing happened. And they're t and and supposedly this was staged or this was planned. So let, let me just make sure I understand this correctly. They planned for a actor to be tackled on national television with no rhyme or reason to it, other than just maybe a laugh. I mean, granted, it's it is funny to watch, and luckily the guy wasn't, but it, it it's just weird. But then again, the whole Lashley Lana Rusev thing is weird in and of itself. We do see a wedding ceremony between Lana and Lashley, with ultimately Rusev coming on a green screen saying that the Bulgarian brute is back and that next week we're gonna see Lashley versus Rusev one-on-one. -on -one. And with heavy implication that Liv Morgan will, will be in, in, in Rusev's corner. If you didn't listen to my podcast last week, which you definitely should on all major podcasting platforms, You'll know that one of my biggest gripes with the Lana, Rusev, Lashley, Liv rectangle at this point is the fact that I don't know where it's going. And rather, I don't know what the payoff is. Okay, you introduced Liv Morgan. It got a lot of shock and got a lot of talk and attention, which I guess is a positive. But at the same time, it just, what's the payoff going to be? I still stand by my opinion that this is being used in an attempt to catapult Rusev into being one of the biggest baby faces on Raw, but it's starting to get a little muddy now, and especially with Liv not even really being part of this segment. She was in a backstage interview and kind of interrupted halfway through somebody else's. So it's not even she was the focal point considering that she was a huge focal point last week. It's just weird. It does have my curiosity and my attention, but just hopefully it goes and ends the right way. But that wasn't the only weird thing we saw on Raw. The main event saw the Architects of Pain, Seth Rollins AOP, teaming up against the team of Samoa Joe, Kevin Owens, and a mystery partner. Now, a lot of people thought the mystery partner was going to be Aleister Black, which I thought was gonna be awesome. But considering Aleister Black had a match already and was quickly beaten up by Buddy Murphy, which let me get, let me just, again, just like Andrade Mysterio, looking forward to them fighting. I just hope they don't do it over and over again because it's going to get repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. But the, the surprise return was the big show. Oh, it was the big show. Okay. 
Okay, okay, okay. So, so, all right. I like Big Show as an individual. He's done great things for WWE as an ambassador. He obviously has made a huge impact, no pun intended, in the business. I, I think it's a matter of time before Big Show is inducted into the Hall of Fame, okay? He's a former world champion. Some of the stuff he was able to do is incredible. I, I mean, he, he is superb, right? However, why this? Why, Big Show? Why? That... Okay. You had an opportunity here to bring in a young talent to be interjected into the main event. Kind of like what they were trying to do with Humberto Carrillo uh, involving with like Rey Mysterio and all that and trying to interject a new young talent into a top spot. And you're doing it in a six-man tag. So you have the ability for Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe to help carry some star power over. And even if he didn't get the win, got a cool moment to kind of shine through and you build off of that. It would take time, but it would build off of that. Big Show wasn't needed. I'll just say that right now. Big Show was not needed. It's kind of like why they put Big Show with the bar. Why, why, why did Big Show need to be with the bar? Because they were fighting New Day, it was a three-on-three. Three. I'm not even saying that Big Show... I'm not even saying Big Show should retire, which I know a lot of people think. It's just a matter of, if you're going to bring him back, bring him back for, for a, a, a relatively big reason, in my opinion. I mean, granted, we're going to get a fist fight, fist fight next week. I don't know what that is next week. I still don't know what that is. I don't know what that is, difference between a regular match, but whatever. But either way, it's just confusing. And... I. You know, when they brought Big Show in to fight Lesnar, when Lesnar was doing his run again, at least I somewhat got that. He's a big man that could challenge Lesnar. They have history. We know where it's going, but we kind of knew where things were going to go. We kind of knew the direction of where things were going to go. But this is just weird. This is just off-putting. Like, does he have a beef with Seth because of the authority again? Like, I don't... I don't know. I hope next week on Raw we get some explanation, but... Not too shabby raw either. It wasn't a horrible one, just a lot of head scratching for sure. But either way, still something I would definitely take a peek at as far as, again, the Andrade Rey Mysterio match and definitely Aleister Black's match. And maybe check out Drew McIntyre's as well. Now, before we switch gears over to some of the other stuff in pro wrestling, make sure if you guys love the Random Wrestling Podcast, you check out our Patreon page. Patreon.com slash OKFave gets you a ton of cool bonus goodies. Of course, you can get early access to the Random Wrestling Podcast up to two days before everybody else does. On top of which, you can also get cool exclusives like classic pay-per-view views, monthly discussion topics, and even the Wrestling Retrospective Series, which is a podcast with myself and my good friend Jake DeMarco as we deep dive and chronicle into a wrestler's entire career and this month we did Bruno San Martino so trust me you want to listen and get in on that and check it out all the other cool perks over at patreon.com slash okfabe but we got to keep on rolling and speaking of great wrestling let's talk about the NWA now I haven't really had a chance to talk about NWA on here as much as I would like to uh, I, did, I do watch National Wrestling Alliance. I do watch NWA Power every single week. And, of course, I do watch it right here on Fight. In fact, 
And like I mentioned earlier, make sure you check out NWA's latest pay-per-view, Hard Times. I'm really looking forward to it. But I did want to at least talk about NWA in general and as well as a little bit what happened on Power this week. First and foremost, I love everything the NWA is doing. The slow build into everything, all the championships, the roster they have, the feel of NWA Power and like the classic feel of the studio wrestling. Everything about it is a win on all levels. The matches are great. The characters are fantastic. I love everything they're doing so far. And honestly, it's actually a big goal of mine in 2020 to hopefully make it to either an NWA power taping and or an NWA pay-per-view. So help me get to Georgia. But the TV title tournament is another big one that's a big focal point right now when it comes to the NWA. We did see Ziggy Dice advancing, and we also saw Tim Storm, everyone's favorite and Mama Storm's favorite, getting slapped by Camille, which I could feel that across the screen. I don't know about you, but I definitely felt that one. But the big thing that a lot of people are talking about from this week's NWA Power was an interesting little, well, tiff between, of course, the national treasure Nick Aldis, the NWA World's Champion, along with Strictly Business, the wild cards, and teaming up and taking on, well, I shouldn't say teaming up and taking on, but having a confrontation with, of course, the NWA World Tag Team Champions, Ricky Morton, and uh, the, <laughs> the, the very intriguing uh, backup that he would, would have, and I'm, I'm going to get to that in a second. So basically, all this threw out a challenge to the Rock and Roll Express and said, six-man tag. And if you win the six-man tag, you, Ricky Morton, will get a shot at the NWA World's title. Sweet Charlotte, 10 pounds of gold. So Morton delivers a very well-spoken speech about champions of the past and how all this is comparing himself to race and flair, and he goes, they could go much longer than you could, but I, I, I'll take the challenge. And Aldis goes, well, wait, we're, we're not, we're not going to be wrestling. It's going to be a six-man tag, so your team, but it's going to be my team of the wild cards and this man and brought out Scott Steiner. Yeah, big pump a pump, big bad, booty daddy. Former world champion Scott Steiner is now in the NWA. Really didn't see that one coming. And, and the one thing I have to give a lot of credit for, for the National Wrestling Alliance as well, is the fact that they have a chance to, you know, they, they obviously tape a lot of things in advance, but they are very good at keeping things hush-hush. I was genuinely shocked to see Scott Steiner show up on NWA Power. Now, where do I think this is ultimately leading? I do think that somehow our good friend, the villain, who showed up at NWA Into the Fire, Marty Skrull, will somehow find a way to sneak his way in, whether he's part of the six-man tag or maybe assists Ricky Morton in uh, at least getting a shot at the NWA World's title. I'm looking forward to this. NWA Power has been hitting on all strides lately, so make sure you check it out, of course, on their YouTube channel, but right here also on Fight TV. Now, Switching gears over a little bit to NXT and AEW real quick. NXT had some amazing action this week. I felt like the last couple of weeks were a little off kilter. And of course, last week we had the, the NXT Year End Awards with Adam Cole walking out with a lot of golden bells. But hey, the guy earned it. He also got on the PWI cover. So listen, the guy, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not deserving. It's just, how do you carry those things? But anyway, NXT was, of course, building now towards NXT TakeOver in Portland as well as uh, when Worlds Collide, or which, which I'm really looking forward to. If you haven't checked it out yet from last year, go ahead and check it out. 
But we saw the next big chapter when it came to the NXT women's division with Rhea Ripley going up against Tony Storm. Not a wrestling match, but more of a confrontation as the two former NXT UK women's champions stared directly at each other and kind of teased a little tension that their rivalry that was over in the UK brand might carry over to the American one. I love the fact that Tony Storm is in NXT. She was my favorite as far as the women's wrestling division in the UK when they relaunched or when they launched the NXT UK brand uh, actually about a year ago now. Holy cow, right? Crazy. But Rhea Ripley has certainly impressed me. Her ability from when she started and when she debuted in the uh, Mae Young Classic to now has been superb. And I, I, I'm really looking forward to them bringing what action and great matches they had in the UK brand to the next level of NXT. Now, we know next week there will be a women's battle royal to determine who the number one contender is. So I'm going to put some money down on, on Storm. I'm just, just saying. But either way, really happy to see that. I can't wait to see where things go. Speaking of women, we also saw Chelsea Green get in on the scene as we saw Chelsea Green interfere and kind of get up in certain Mia Yim's face. But then more surprisingly was announced to be the latest acquisition for Robert Stone's brand. Hmm. So not only is Chelsea Green making her scene on NXT, but so is Robert Stone's brand. Could be an interesting pairing. I can't wait to see where things go. Again, Chelsea, most likely than not, going to also be in that women's battle royal too. But that wasn't the only great action that we saw. I mean, that's just confrontations. We also got to see not one, but two amazing tag team matches in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. I am so pumped that this is back. It's a thing that I love that NXT does every year and brings back every year. And this year was a special treat because not only did we get four teams from NXT, we also got four teams from NXT UK. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of great action from NXT this week that you need to check out. Of course, the first one was Imperium going over against the Forgotten Sons in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic in the first round. I'm actually surprised, I, couldn't, I shouldn't say I'm, I'm that surprised that Imperium won considering they're the strongest stable right now over in the NXT UK brand, in my humble opinion. But Forgotten Sons, I was kind of bummed they got taken out in the first round. But listen, there's always more opportunities because, well, it's NXT. It's going to be great stuff. But a match that you definitely need to check out is Austin Theory and Joaquin Wilde in a one-on-one -on -one matchup. This was just great. Of course, Austin Theory most recently coming over from the Evolve brand. And Joaquin Wilde uh, was introduced to us when they introduced a huge line of new talent recently, last couple of months on NXT. I mean, high-flying, high-octane, crazy matchup. And here's the thing. Austin Theory, if I'm not mistaken, and please correct me if I'm wrong, 23 years old. Insane. Absolutely insane. Uh, you you got to see it. Just trust me. Go watch it for yourself. Definitely owe it to yourself. But on top of that, the other tag team action continued in the Dusty's Classic as we saw the NXT UK Tag Team Champions taking on the NXT Tag Team Champions as Gallus takes on the Undisputed Era. This was a hard choice and a hard thing for me to watch because I like both of these teams. Now, again, I'm not as well versed on the UK brand as I am the American brand. And trust me, if there's one thing I really could want to watch more of, I want to watch to keep an eye more on the UK side of things. But it, this was an interesting little, little twist because... Number one, they're both champions. They're both tag team champions. How do you get either one of these teams to, to look better than the other? On top of that, though, there's an NXT TakeOver uh, event that was actually taking place on the network earlier today. And I'm actually just surprised that they had the UK tag team uh, champions 
go or job out. I just want to say job out, but lose to the NXT Tag Team Champions. But again, a hell of a match that shows both why both of these two teams deserve to be Tag Team Champions. Uh, so definitely something to watch out for. And speaking of the Dusty Tag Team Classic, we also found out that, you ready for this? Kushida, who will have a mystery tag team partner. Well, right after, not too long after NXT went off the air, the partner was revealed to be, and I'm so excited to tell you this, Alex Shelley. Yeah, Alex Shelley, former of Ring of Honor, former of Impact TNA Wrestling, is going to be the partner of Kushida. I hope they at least make it beyond the first round. Please make it beyond the first round. Those two are going to be so much fun to watch. Trust me. Ah, oh, I'm so excited. Freaking out. We did see an amazing, awesome promo from one Johnny Gargano who's looking to set his eye on Mr. Prince or Prince A or Prime. It's a weird thing with the whole logo now. Against Finn Balor, even throwing a challenge out to him to NXT Portland, which takes place later on in February. And of course, can't talk about the main event, an incredible fatal four-way between Keith Lee, Dominic Djakovic, uh, of course, uh, Cameron Grimes and Damian Priest. The winner gets a shot at Roderick Storm's North American title in two weeks. Holy cow. Amazing action from everyone. Choke slams from Keith Lee. The spirit bomb. I mean, it was just insane. I even saw one part where, and I loved how Keith Lee actually tweeted this out, said that he beats up guys with other guys. And he's not joking about that. Keith Lee would actually go on to win the Fatal 4-Way, which means we get ourselves Roderick Strong and Keith Lee in two weeks' time on NXT for that North American title. The NXT build is actually interesting because, again, we don't have a traditional takeover during the Royal Rumble weekend. They're actually straying from the course and doing Portland, which is going to be taking place in February. I believe it's February 16th. So it's interesting that they're kind of going in a different direction a little bit, but I don't think it's going to, no pun intended, take away from the takeover. So far, it looks like we're going to get Gargano versus Balor. Probably Keith Lee in some sort of major rivalry, considering he's already challenging for the North American title, which I'm really happy about. And most likely than not, the finals of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, although that could happen beforehand too. Either way, even though it's straining away from the Big Four, TakeOver Portland is looking to be quite a treat. But speaking of treats, we also got AEW on the rise this week. AEW going almost a million viewers opposite NXT this week, which is a huge victory but not without some constructive criticism over this week's Dynamite. Now, we did see Pac challenging Hangman Page after Hangman Page had a victory with Kenny Omega over Private Party in the opening match, which is interesting. I didn't think they were had their rivalry all wrapped up yet, but at the same time, eh, it kind of makes sense a little bit. Now, the big thing a lot of people were a little upset about or being critical about was, of course, the women's division. We did see Rio in action retaining the AEW Women's Championship over Chris Statalander in a very decent matchup, but of course, the Nightmare Collective going to attack Chris, but Rio makes the save, and it looks like we're building towards, towards possibly a multi-woman match as Britt Baker also involved in the scene. Now, a lot of people were very critical and crucial, especially over Kenny Omega, who actually took to Twitter this week and left a wide open forum. He's like, listen, I don't usually do this, but I'm gonna leave, leave some open to talking about anything when it comes to the company. Fire away, please be respectful. I did throw a couple of questions myself. Didn't get a chance to talk to Mr. Hang, uh, Mr. Cleaner himself, but he did reveal that, of course, he is kind of piloting or rather being a big proponent of the women's division in AEW, and they're still trying to find their face. 
The women's division, I definitely think, is something that I hope they do eventually approve upon in 2020. I'm not saying anything negative about Rio. I think she's a fine women's wrestler and a fine women's champion. But I do think that there is a little bit of an identity crisis when it comes to the women's division. There is a great pool of talent in that women's division. It just seems to not have any sort of clear guidance yet. Granted, the Nightmare Collective coming involved might help boost it up a little bit. I mean, we did see some teases of possible rivalries in the future, even Britt Baker getting an AEW Women's Championship match earlier in at the end of 2019. But there's just something still uncertain about the women's division. I think, honestly, that's probably their biggest thing that is one of their weak points and honestly was one of the biggest weak points of this week's Dynamite, in my opinion. But there's certainly plenty of time and plenty of chance to improve upon that for sure. Now, on top of that, we also saw a couple of other interesting things, including, well, the Dark Order attacking Christopher Daniels and, of course, SCU and the Young Bucks making the save. And it was the interesting thing here is I have a love-hate relationship with the Dark Order. On one hand, I love the promos they've been doing the last couple of weeks, inviting people to join them and being almost like a cult-like atmosphere. I kind of love that dark presentation and having like the join the Dark Order. I love that kind of presentation, and they haven't really done anything like that in recent memory, the little vignettes and stuff. I think it's really clever. I also like the fact that they're trying to recruit Daniels because there's a t chance and possibility that we could see maybe Daniels become the fallen angel again, a gimmick that I still miss to this day that he used to do in the early days of wrestling in like 2005, uh, both Ring of Honor and TNA. I loved that gimmick from him. So there's still some potential there. The only thing I don't like is the constant attacks. I mentioned this before uh, with earlier stuff that we were talking about, about attacking and attacking and attacking and attacking. So the attacking is just, I don't know, it just seems a bit a little too, like they're doing it a little too much. But that being said, it still could create some great uh, fun possibilities with the Dark Order. I, I just hope they don't keep constantly going into that. That being said, we did have a very fun tag team match with Cody and Dustin against the Lucha Brothers. Uh, but wish kind of the Lucha Brothers were placed in a more high prominent position. Uh, again, we're still kind of playing around with the Dark Order and the tag team titles, but I kind of wish Pentagon Jr. especially was put in a more predominant role. It kind of makes me want to see a singles title or at least a singles mid-card title underneath the World Championship. Might be needed a little bit more so than we thought just to kind of help balance things out and give other people a chance to showcase in the spotlight. I know that Cody and AEW hasn't said that they would never do a mid-card title, even hinting at a possible TV championship. I just think that maybe they need to start maybe introducing it a little sooner rather than later. Just my humble opinion. But, of course, one of my favorite things about AEW is, of course, Maxwell Jacob Freeman, Mr. MJF himself. After we saw Cody and Dustin get the victory over the Lucha Brothers, we had, of course, Cody's new personal coach, Arn Anderson, AA himself, talking about how they're kind of going to cool the Jets and the whole MJF challenge and his, you know, demands and things like, no, this isn't, this isn't gonna how it's going to play. We'll talk about it. We'll see. Of course, MJF starts mocking him, and out comes to a surprise of a lot of people, Diamond Dallas Page to defend him. But of course, it was just weird how D DDP was the answer to that. But hey, listen, I'm not going to take any—I'm not going to take anything away from DDP. We see MJF mock him, and of course, we see Page leaving people in his wake. Ultimately, MJF getting a low blow. But I have to say, MJF tweeting during uh, D DDP's promo on Twitter was just absolutely hilarious. And we find out that actually DDP will be returning to in-ring action for the first time, I think, in almost five years in trios actions next week on AEW Dynamite. So make sure you tune in for that, especially 
right here on Fight. We did see a great six-man tag with best friends, or rather, gentlemen's club, against Jurassic Express. Always love to see Luchasaurus. How do you not love to see a giant Lucha wrestling dinosaur? Everything I just said about that is an awesome statement in and of itself. And of course, we gotta talk about John Moxley joining the Earner Circle. It was said and it was promoted all week that John Moxley would give an answer to, of course, the AEW World Champion Chris Jericho on whether or not he would join the Inner Circle. Tensions were high, teases were done, Moxley saying he didn't want to do it, and then he said yes. Much to everyone's chagrin, but of course Moxley, being Moxley, takes up a little bit of the bubbly and crashes it over Jericho's head, thus showing that Moxley's not quite ready to join the, the Inner Circle, but he'll take that forward for a spin, that's for sure. I can't say I'm not really surprised considering I think a lot of us see that Revolution, the next AEW pay-per-view, is heading towards the direction of Jericho versus Moxley. I'm actually looking forward to it, especially to see what they could do different compared to, say, their Jericho versus Moxley rivalry in WWE. And trust me, I think there's not going to be a Mitch the Plant this time. Especially with Moxley's recent run and pretty impressive string of matches, and Jericho being le champion, there's a different vibe and a different environment. These are not the same people that we saw in Stamford, Connecticut, wrestling over Mitch the Plant and a bright light jacket. This is going to be a different type of rivalry. This is going to be a different type of match and something that I think is definitely a highlight. AEW Dynamite, to me, as much as it did a much better number, obviously, compared to NXT this week, I felt was weak specifically in the first hour. Most of it turning to what I was talking about when it comes to the the women's wrestling. I think that was a big proponent of it. There were other things that were kind of so-so, and not saying it was a bad show, but I think the first half hour, or first hour, excuse me, was the weaker compared to the second. But there's a lot of potential, a lot of fun that we could see in AEW, and you'll just have to tune in on Dynamite next week to see exactly what could take place. Now, before we wrap things up on the Random Wrestling Podcast, I do want to give some love to, of course, our website. If you guys haven't checked out the website, okfabe.com, you can check out all sorts of cool stuff. You can check out episodes of the Random Wrestling Podcast, plus you get some cool other things, including, well, pay-per-view reactions, blog posts, network reviews of specials from WWE. There's a lot of cool stuff over there, so you can check that out. Check out our sponsorships and, of course, check out our Patreon page. And make sure you hit me up on those Twitters at OKFabe. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, pretty much everywhere you guys can listen or watch or consume content on social media. I am there, but the number one place is OKFabe.com. Sign up for our freeze newsletter so you guys get in on everything we got going on here. And, of course, the last couple of things I want to talk about before we wrap up on this week's edition of the Random Wrestling Podcast is two interesting little tidbits. First of all, actually both involve social media, speaking of which. The first being the Young Bucks leaving Twitter. Now this is something I didn't really want to go deep diving into, but it was a very interesting little discussion about, well, social media and sometimes the unfortunate toxicity I guess it could create. A lot of people are saying that the Young Bucks were, well, cowards for leading social media. Some people praise them, and it, it's kind of a definitely a split decision for me. On one hand, social media is a great way to connect to fans, connect to people, and honestly, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in right now if it wasn't for you amazing people. On the other hand, there are certain people that can ruin uh, experiences and are out there just to create some negativity and hype. So all I can say is, on one hand, I, I think that the Young Bucks made the right decision. On the other, it's kind of giving in to those people who are kind of wanting you around, didn't want you around anyway. But either way, I think the Bucks are doing quite well for themselves, so kudos to them. 
But of course, the big one that a lot of people were talking about with social media is CM Punk on The Miz. Now, for those of you who don't know, Miz made a little bit of a nice little elbow jab to him on this week's episode of WWE Backstage. Actually, not even on Backstage, but like the post thing on social media saying that he didn't here to change the culture, referring to, of course, Punk's famous first line when he came back to the company, or rather backstage. Punk's tweet, which I'm not going to talk about because we want to keep it at least relatively PG, but I'm pretty sure if you Google it, you can find it, was instantly taken down. For reasons, when you find the tweet, you'll see why. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand why. I mean, I get Punk would say that, and, and listen, social media, again, can be a great thing, it can be a not-so-great thing. People have a voice, but the problem is people have a voice. It's a weird dynamic between good and, and, and not so good. I, I, I just, I don't see that being a good move, especially where he just got into, like, the good graces with Fox and supposedly the good graces with WWE. I don't think Punk necessarily cares about being on good terms with people, but not necessarily the most wisest decision. I'll, I'll just put it that way. And listen, I'm sure people, we've all said things on social media that we shouldn't have, right? Note to self, I need to delete a lot of tweets when I get done with this episode. But anyway, with that being said, I want to hear what you guys have to say about all this. Let me know your thoughts about this week in wrestling. Hit me up in the comments section. Hit me up on all the social media, the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagrams, and of course over at OKFave.com. And wherever you guys are listening to us from, we're everywhere. Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio. I thank you guys for tuning in for episode 107 of the Random Wrestling Podcast right here on Fight TV. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take care. And as always, pew, take it easy.